We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited that you're here because I have a very special guest. And if you have listened to this show before, you probably heard me say that, but this is um, one that, that really is dear to my heart because I'm joined by my father, who is also um, been one of my greatest spiritual teachers uh, throughout my my life. And today um, we have the privilege to tell a story and to talk about um, his newest book, Love Letters, One Father's Wisdom or Not, um, which really uh, is the story of our family's journey, specifically my sister, Anna, um, her battle with uh, leukemia over the course of two, a little over two years through 2009 to, to 2011. And I just want to start this, um, this out by giving you a, um, a peek into where we're headed, uh, in this conversation and the spiritual truths and lessons, uh, that my dad, uh, has really extracted through, uh, going through suffering. Uh, we experience great loss and great suffering. And oftentimes those are the things that wake us up to, um, what is, what is real and what can we really lean on in our darkest hour when we, uh, need hope the most. And I just want to start by reading, um, a note, a letter that, one of my sister's um, colleagues at University of Georgia when she was a master's student, uh, graduate student there, wrote about her. Um, and I think it's a really good precursor into where we will take this conversation uh, in a minute. So I'll start with this. I find it hard to reflect on May 9th, 2011 without thinking about November 15th, 2009. 
We were working on a presentation at the last minute, which was typical for Mark and me, yet atypical for Anna. Sitting in that apartment, I remember feeling the weight of our project and the nerves stirring in my stomach. Anna wasn't feeling well either. I kept telling her it was probably stress-related or maybe the crushed red pepper flakes. She knew, though. It wasn't her stomach. It was her nerves. It was something bigger. I remember the fear in her eyes and feeling the fever in her forehead. She excused herself to go to the bathroom, but I followed her a few seconds later. I found Anna on the floor next to the toilet, and she was crying. At that moment, life became very real. My head was previously focused on cast standards and PowerPoint slides. Yet my heart led me to sit on the bathtub ledge next to her, and there we were, an innocent, beautiful, young girl facing leukemia, a clueless friend, scared out of his mind, who didn't know what to do. There was nothing I could do to change what was happening. The only thing I could do was help her realize she wasn't alone. I placed my arm around her shoulder and sat there until she was done crying. That night changed everything. I may not have realized it then, but I certainly do now. Last year, when I got the news of Anna's passing, I fled and I drove straight to Athens to be with those who would help me remember that I was not only going through that moment. There was nothing anyone could do that night, nothing except take time to remember that even in death, we are not alone. Life is not about pride or homework or making yourself look good or deadlines or hiding from the world or even knowing the way. Life is about those moments when you are afraid and you don't know what to say. When you're unsure of how to act and you can't predict what is about to happen. Life is about those moments to remind you that you're not alone. Those moments when all you know to do is love. Life is about moments like November 15th and May 9th. Sure, those nights brought horrible pain, tears, suffering, distress, loss, and feelings I wouldn't wish on another human being. But I would be lying if I said that those nights didn't save me. Those nights reminded me that I am not alone, that Anna's not alone, and that none of us are alone. Never alone. And uh, I promised myself I wouldn't weep uh, in this episode, and I'm already doing it. But um, those are the types of lessons that all of us, I think, who ever knew her or have experienced great loss, great love, uh, great grief, um, feel. Because we learn through contrast, and we learn um, through suffering. And that's what this book is about. And um, I think, Dad, you did such a beautiful job of bringing it all together. And so welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. And um, I just want to acknowledge all of the effort that it took to to put this out into the world and to share um, a story of hope. And I think that's where I want to start this conversation um, with what you call your spiritual toolbox um, and how it's in these moments of, of adversity that we're called to use the tools that we have uh, been given um, to, to help us, to help ourselves. And two that you really focus on in the book are um, belief and um, hope uh, and prayer. I want to start with hope because I specifically remember, um, I remember a 
time early on when Anna was diagnosed, uh, it was actually, I think it was the day that Anna was diagnosed, um, that you sat us down as a family and you said, we have two options, hope or despair. And as a family, we're going to choose hope. And that moment was so significant for me. And I, I share about that a lot because it was the first time I ever recognized that I had a choice, that we all had a choice. And we could make a conscious choice about how we wanted to perceive our circumstances and how we would move forward as a family um, through uncertainty. Um, talk about that. How, how did you um, know to say that at the time? And where did your, uh, your connection to, to hope and to light and to trusting and having faith and belief during a time where nothing, uh, you know, pointed to, uh, good news for us. What, what led you to share that? Well, I, uh, am sympathetic to your, uh, emotional response to even discussing <laughs> this topic. Uh, that's one of the reasons it took me 10 years to do this. Uh, I started shortly after she died and I had sketched out some ideas and <clears throat> began to write, and it was so difficult. I would just, uh, I have to remember a certain situation to try to describe it, much less to to draw any uh, conclusions or wisdom from the telling of it. And in the in the remembering and sitting at the computer to remember, you just reliving. Uh, the experience and I would type and, and just start to weep and and it was uh, too hard to do and I wanted to do it very badly but I just couldn't and I had to st I had to stop and it wasn't until the summer that um, I decided to try again and there was enough time that had gone by to where it wasn't so raw um, that I was able to to go ahead and, and finish it but um, it, your emotion and my emotion, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to try to do the same thing and try to not, uh, uh, succumb to emotional overcoming me, but, uh, um, it's just, uh, an evidentiary action, both you and me, of what we experienced it, uh, having been so powerful so devastating you know we lead most of our lives in in daily tasks of survival we go to work we try to earn money we try to make our way we try to raise our children we try to keep a roof over our head and our stomachs fed educate them um etc etc and that's what we we do daily forever and ever that's our first obligation and our first job and when something comes to um, attack that normalcy and it becomes so overwhelming and so powerful and so significant and the loss is so great the um, intensity of the moment each moment is so important every decision is important that the weight of it just destroys you as to who you think you were and the safety you thought you lived in and the 
expectations of of doing and becoming what you wanted to be on your regular daily life and your dreams and etc all that gets uh, torn away and it leaves you the end result is it leaves you wasted and you don't know where you are you don't know how to react and um, you don't know what you're going to do from that point on and that's not something you know how to deal with it's not something anybody prepares you to deal with uh, as you grow up you can read about it you can hear other people talk about it that are separate from you and as long as it doesn't affect you you can kind of embrace the idea of it but until it happens to you and uh, you have to live through it and then you realize what quicksand it is for your self and your understanding of what am I going to do so the hope versus despair thing was literally I don't know what we're going to do I don't know how this is going to turn out we're dealing with something that can be very very awful for Anna and for all of us who are intimately associated with her our family was not one where there were problems or factions or or anything that kept each other away from each other. We were deeply intertwined in a positive way. And mm-hmm. so all of our hopes and dreams involved everybody else. And uh, that was true for every member of our family. So when something uh, threatened Anna, we were all equally in in the quicksand. Mm. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how it was going to turn out. So it was literally choosing to look for the light. And we're going to endure as much as we have to endure, as long as we have to endure it. But if we keep, if we quit looking up and we quit having a sense of it's all going to be all right in the end, then we're not going to win this for Anna. We're not going to endure this for ourselves. We're just going to mm. melt down into a puddle and we're all going to be destroyed. So mm. that's that's yeah. really where it was. Yeah, just like necessity. And like, yeah. again, I think to your point, um, you don't know what it's like until you walk in those shoes yourself and it's so disorienting um because you you have no framework for living with this level of uncertainty before and And your yeah yeah, and your threat imminent threat that's looming and feels like it's there you know um i have uh pointed out some of anna's writings and and she speaks of that exactly in one of her journal entries. Um, she, on a couple of days before my birthday in 2010, she wrote that this could quite easily be the worst day of my life. Um, basically, she says that uh, one of her doctors um, had a high suspicion that her leukemia had returned, 
and that she wouldn't be able to move forward with one of two of her bone marrow transplants that she ended up going through. Um, and uh, ultimately, the biopsy for bone marrow came back normal, but this is what she wrote. Um, the news of the possibility of resurfacing leukemia still resonates me, haunting me right down to the faulty marrow in my bones. I'm doing my best now to stay upbeat, follow my instructions to keep myself healthy, like walking and doing my mouth care correctly, and push negative thoughts away. After all, I have absolutely no choice but to make it to the other side of this transplant. There's no hiding from it, putting it off, or waking up from this nightmare. I feel completely helpless, like falling and waiting to hit the ground. Living in the moment is my only defense against the fear I have about the future. Yes. Wow. Like Living that. in the moment is all there is. Uh, I hear you uh, on this podcast and in your writings and discussions say often it's now is now. That's what eternity is. This is right now. And the past is the past and the future hadn't come yet. But in all there is, is right now. And each now and the minutes thereafter, after this now, is going to be that now. And that's mm-hmm. what she's talking about, is is living in each, let me get through this moment mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was so beyond, uh, I don't know, consciously evolved. She knew these things and spoke of them in such a way that's um, clearly evident that she um, just was deeply connected to some like profound truths and she's able to like eloquently speak to this like in her journal writing but that's you know that's just it it's like living in the moment is all we have to protect ourselves oftentimes when we are flooded with anxiety and overwhelm and fear and all of those things which exist in your mind and to get you know to try to escape that um is only possible by by coming into to that moment and um and she she knew that um it's it's powerful you know and one of the things that um you know i think all of us you and i kind of are feeling right now even in articulating um kind of what we're feeling and especially articulating what it's like to go through something like this um words often fail and they're they feel inadequate to express the grief or the loss or the the love or the hope that we felt at different points Mm. um and so um i think anna um and this journey taught us a lot about how to live in the Mm -hmm. moment and how to live now um because as a witness to what she went through, um, it's, you can't go through something like that and not come out changed and not have a deep, much deeper understanding for what's true and what's real and what's important and what's valuable, which I don't think I did, um, at all until, you know, this happened. I, that was really the, the catalyst for me to start to reconsider okay what's really important here your toolbox had been exactly spilled all over the floor 
Exactly. So what was that like for you? Um, like what were those things that you had relied on, um, or had been taught growing up that this would, you know, this would save you and suffice in your greatest time of need. Um, and did it, um, did it do what it said it was going to do? Like what you had been told, like, it's like almost like on the outside of a packaging, Mm -hmm. it's like this instruction for how to use. Um, and when, when you use the tool, did it work? Um, specifically prayer, you talk a lot about prayer in this, this I do. Um, you talk a lot about manifestation in your in your work, and I equate both of them to be mm-hmm. synonyms. Prayer is sort of a, uh, mm-hmm. in my mind, a projecting of your desire, of your gratitude. You know, let me, let me back up and say I grew up um, as a child of uh, a church. Uh, music ministry and so being a a protestant a southern protestant and being the child of a minister in in that church uh, idea and community was uh, burned into me from my core it's part of who i am and I understood, understand all of the teachings of the Bible and Sunday school and theology and all of that as best I can, let me say. I'm, I'm very familiar with a lot of it. However, when the most valuable thing to me, which is uh, a family member of my own creation... Uh, which would be, uh, you know, my daughter, your sister. When she has the most difficult form of cancer, about blood cancer that you can have, um, and immediately her life is going from healthy to this can kill you. And it can do it soon if we don't do things in the right way. Um, All of a sudden, all you have to try to change her her circumstance, besides um, the medical professional that you're working with, is to ask for your desires. Um... And not only did I pray, did uh, your mother pray, did you pray, did Anna pray, but your mother and I were both uh, church staff members at the time when Anna was sick, different churches. Uh, So we had those church families in addition to our own extended family and our own set of friends. And our own students, your mother and myself, uh, were both college teachers so we had staffs at our institutions. We had congregations at uh, our churches. We had family. We had friends. We had all of our students and former students. All of these people were aware of what was going on. And they, too, immediately tried to do by instinct all they knew to do to affect a reality that is places someone they care about in danger which is to pray 
uh, and pray as if to um, any idea that can come and change her circumstance to heal her, heal her body or whatever mm-hmm. in the way that we in, in a, a church kind of situation have come to view that situation. Mm-hmm. Anna um, obviously eventually passes away. And so all of those prayers of the most earnest kind, not only from us, but from everyone we knew. All over the country, there were people praying for her. There were people praying for her in multiple countries in the world. There was a mass sold um, mm. done for her in in Russia, um, as an example. Thousands of people were, were praying for one outcome, for her to be restored to health and productivity. It didn't happen. Now, that's common in the physical form. In the physical form, right. But that's what we were praying for, the physical form. Right. The physical change of her her healing. It didn't happen, and that's not unusual. We're all familiar with and live with things that get prayed for that don't happen. And then... We have to explain that to ourselves. And so within a community of faith, you hear all kinds of um, explanations or responses to justify why it didn't happen. All of which are hopeful. Because I think we're all trying to make meaning. And in the end, my... And I say so in the book, which disturbs some people. Uh, But it doesn't disturb me because I'm sort of past that uh, from that understanding. I think prayer is very useful. It is the praying for yourself, for your attitude, for your thoughts and consciousnesses, to pray for gratitude, to pray for, uh, for whatever that helps you your state of mind and your life as it will be demonstrated in the actions your actions i'm not sure meaning prayer helps the the one who prays yeah, i think so yeah i think it's very positive and yeah. very healing and very good it's an expression of your hope it is a manifestation mm-hmm. request so to speak mm-hmm. <coughs> now what confused me is that I had been told to pray for others. I had read in the Bible, ask what you will, uh, and it will be given to you, etc., etc. Well, what I will is for my daughter to be restored to health. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. If that doesn't work, in all sincerity in the request, okay. Why did I find that useful? How am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do next time when a, when life gets hard in future events? If that didn't work then, what am I going to do next time? And so it puts mm-hmm. me on a, 
a journey of trying to assess what was useful in my experience with Anna and her journey and what was not. And that's what I set out to do as a response of not only telling her story in the book, which is the predominance of the book, is is about her journey. But the significance of the book is not so much her life. It is more my personal journey of spirit after the worst happens and how to rebuild and and heal and continue to be productive and what were the lessons that I did not expect that happened. Mm -hmm. And that's what is also in the book. And that's what supports me now is those lessons. And let me tell you what I learned was. There's something I want to read uh, from the book. Because I thought I, I... I took a great amount of trouble to try to say it the way I was feeling and experiencing it. Um, My job is to discipline my free will in order to minimize my sense of selfishness and to learn to maximize my selflessness. In doing so, I have the opportunity to to become a conduit for love through my deliberate action. And God is goodness, as kindness, as righteousness, and as fairness becomes manifest in the world for the benefit of others through my choosing to act for another person in this world, in this place, and at this time. The notion came to me that when I contemplated how God has interacted with me in my life experience, it dawned on me that God never came to me in a lightning strike or a booming voice. No unearthly miracle such as a burning bush or a pillar of fire ever got my attention and changed my circumstance. Rather, whenever I remember help coming to me to actually change my circumstance, It came to me in the form of another person. A person actually doing something for my benefit that was not required for their betterment. Someone listened to me talk. Someone dried my tears. Someone gave me money. Someone spoke words of encouragement. Someone mowed my lawn or brought me food or water. Cut fallen leaves from out of my driveway fallen trees from out of my driveway and my yard with chainsaws after a tornado lifting and carrying away wood neighbors and friends came to my house and packed my belongings after an ef4 tornado ripped through my neighborhood circle and left trees in my living room so that they could place tarps on the holes in my roof to keep the rain out before the darkness of night came and more rain arrived i did not ask these people for help I could not ask these people for help. I could not help myself. 
but they came. Immediately they came from next door, across town, and from campus, from other cities, many miles away, loaded with tools and gas and food, they came. God was helping me, providing for me, saving me through these people. These people who saw a need, who selflessly put aside their comfort and chose to act, were becoming God's blessing to me and my family at a time when we could not help ourselves. This realization changed my life. That's what I learned. I learned that I can choose my attitude, which is hope and which is positivity. That attitude informs and directs my actions. And my actions are to, after I've taken care of my immediate survival needs, my actions are intended to help somebody else, to be kind to somebody else, to do what you can to relieve suffering from someone else or for someone else. Anybody else, not just those that are like you or those that are similar to you or live near you or go to your church or go to your school or whatever, but wherever there is suffering, wherever there is need, to be willing to act, to try to answer that need. And Mm -hmm. if and when you do that, you become Christ for somebody else. God doesn't become Christ for somebody else. God talks to you and says, you be Christ for somebody else. Right. I think Marianne Williamson says, well, we call on God through prayer and we ask for help. Um, uh, and God sends help, um, in the form of, he says, I sent you (laughs) basically said, you're it. So go show up and go help somebody. Right. And that, that's the lessons. And it's like, I had the same passage Mark to, to read. And, um, ultimately, you know, what you're talking about is the self sacrificial, like sacrificial love that I will give out of the excess of abundant love that I have um, you in your time of need and I will show up and I will be present and I will uh, do give of my best and I will um, not withhold what I have. Um, And you don't expect anything for return. It's not a barter. Right. It's not a deal. What can you do for me? Yeah. And that was reflected in, um, yeah. in so many people who, who had prayer, prayer groups or started fundraisers, or, um, you talk about, uh, a dear precious friend of our family who was, you know, God came through the form of a 12 year old girl who, uh, started, right. uh, knitting purses and selling them on the weekends to raise money for, for the cause and for Anna, uh, Anna's fund. Um, and ultimately you say that there, um, um, when she gave us kind of that donation, 
um, you said, I, I could not have been more humbled, embarrassed, and ashamed that I could, could not point to anything I had done in my 50 years of life as generous or magnanimous as what this child had done for our family. The lesson was powerful, self-evident, and life-changing. There was good in the world. There was kindness, love, empathy, compassion, caring, and strength, and it came through people, people who chose to act, to love, to feel another's hurt, to care, to sacrifice, to help, and to support, not merely once, but continuously over the long haul, even after and during the recovery. This is what we are supposed to do. This is the perfect plan, a masterful system for the transformation of both parties, the helper and the helpless. I finally got it, understood its simplicity and purity. Because of others, I realized what I considered to be the true nature of life's purpose. Yeah. That's where karma comes from. You get what you sow. That's it. And one way to make sure that your life is purposeful, meaningful, Mm -hmm. content, happy, and with a sense of enough is to give all of that away to somebody else. When you do that, you get what you give, but you don't get it until you give. So if all you do is think about it, you haven't done a damn thing. Right. Yeah, thinking um, without action. Yeah, well, It's like faith without works is dead. That's yeah. that's the saying because it's... and. And this revelation had nothing, what is so beautiful, it had nothing to do with dogma, it had nothing to do with church, it had nothing to do with politics, had nothing to do with culture or family traditions. This was just, when you strip everything else away, this is what's left. Right. Like, this is what remains. This is the essence of living life in the midst of disaster. And interestingly, um, your mother and I and yourself, I guess. Um, our days were occupied. Our minds were occupied. Every minute of every day was occupied with doing what was necessary for all four of us to, to survive, but for also trying to create the things in the atmosphere and the opportunities for Anna to uh, prosper and become healthy. Um, Therefore, all of these acts of love came out of nowhere. And all you could do is just observe them. And, and as the Bible says about Mary many times, and she pondered these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you're, just, you're going, what, what the hell just happened? And why did this happen? And Wow. That was so cool, and I'm so embarrassed, Mm. you know. Except it also teaches you to receive. Giving is one thing. You also have to learn to receive that which you ask for. And if you ask for help, if you ask for comfort, in your your prayers... Mm. And all of a sudden they show up. There's a certain way to receive. Uh, and the receiving is not just saying thank you and and whatever. But it's more of a receiving it in your 
insides that say, I want to be like that. And therefore you go do something else for somebody else to get that same feeling that you got when it was given to you. It's a mystical sort of exchange. Yeah. And uh, all we had in the midst of our disaster, all these things that were good that happened to us, it's just we're it's stuck into our memories and our brains and we ponder and think about and try to determine meaning from yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean it's like you talk about this in the book too and when I think about like when we're born it's tra- it's traumatic, you know, that like just the process of getting here alone and like getting into the world and then it's sure. like we take that first breath and it's like every the human experience is to in like is to suffer the boat that's the buddha says it's a you know right. it is to suffer um and it all the struggle all of the effort all of the like um fighting that that anna did as well as mom later when she was diagnosed with with ovarian and and we all fight battles you know uh this is one specific one that that we did and anna did um and it's that fighting um with life that is creates that suffering but you say you know that that fight is um it's violent you know it's unfair it's destructive but um it's that struggle to stay here, to like to keep living, to keep doing life. Right. But death itself, when it comes, is peaceful, respectful, poignant, almost a physical representation of our hope of continuing, of going on, of still existing, of being whole, transitioning to a different but definite experience. For me, when I witnessed Anna travel through that passage of time, I got the same feeling of awe I experienced when she was born once again. She was transitioning from one place or one experience to another. I felt both moments of brief, fleeting glimpse of a greater reality. Yeah, like <laughs> that is. Um, you were I there. I was there. Yeah, I mean, we we ultimately had to take Anna off life support and um, and to bear witness to that transition. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't, it's a holy thing. It, it is. It, it is. Being born, watching you be born was a holy thing. Uh, God, you, it's the smell. The, 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 it's a smell of wonder. It's like the ions in the air or, or the energy around you just came from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And... You can feel it. And when you exit, it's the same thing. It's like all that energy is just now goes out the door. The energy doesn't stop. It just moves out somewhere else. And uh, what's left is the, the glove or the shell that you were in, you know, what that energy was in. And, um, I mean, that was one of the most like profound moments for me. And looking back, I think such a pivotal moment for me to start to wake up and recognize my own divinity and my own like 
the contrast between the eternal me and the, the human yeah. me, you know, and, um, you know, we talk about that fight, like the, you know, some people refer to, to those who either succumb to disease or whatever. It's like they lost their battle. And I think it was one of her doctors, uh, Dr. Robert Witt, who said, you know, um, uh, Anna didn't lose her battle. She ran ran out out of time. time. And that's the story. I mean, I I talk about this in in Coachable University and with my students all the time that like life is a game and it's a game of inches and we're always like trying to move forward and it's sometimes we move backward and sometimes we move forward and, and it's like you never know when for any of us like that final whistle is going to blow. And it's going to be done, um, at least for this, you know, this lifetime. And to to put it all out there, to leave it all on the field. And, you know, I know um, you write about in the book, there was a time when Anna started to talk to you and mom about death and that she, right. um, you know, didn't have any regrets, that she really, like, lived full out. Oh, and she sure did. Gave a gave it everything yeah Uh, it was 100 percent effort and 100 percent fully herself in everything she did um Mm -hmm. but i wanted to read something to you this is from the epilogue the moral of this story does not concern anna gordon In the end, the telling of her life is meant to illustrate my spiritual growth. My understanding was the byproduct of what happened to her. This is the wisdom I wish to leave the reader, the secret to a a life well lived. The story of the helpers, the encouragers. That's the moral of the story. And it's the wisdom, the secret. It is wisdom to understand that one must use one's life to make a difference, to do good, to help those in need without hesitation or judgment, to give other people the best you have, all people, not merely some people. But come, take responsibility for your soul, your joy, your happiness by relieving pain, suffering injustice, need, lack, and ignorance in the world. Share others' burdens while here on earth. There is no permanence to positive things, nor to negative ones. It is a constant cycle between positive and negative. Life is the journey, and that journey is accomplished through changes and circumstance. But the journey forces us to choose how to respond to circumstances. Sometimes you may be the helper, sometimes you may need the help. You do not get you do not get to control circumstances, but you navigate circumstances with hope as a constant. Live on purpose, with purpose, growing your awareness of opportunities to love one another. Then muster the courage and develop the will to habitually do it. In the end, there is only hope or despair. Choose hope. Hope is all there is. 
I know this. And Anna Gordon knew it before me. Now, mm-hmm. if you'll let me, I would like mm-hmm. for you to hear and remember Anna's voice herself. This is a letter that she wrote to her bone marrow donor. And yeah, I was going to read this, so I'm glad you are. And it centers around hope. Dear donor, never in my life had I ever imagined myself in the position to be writing this letter of thanks to you. It is so strange and disconcerting how cancer can creep into a healthy life so unexpectedly. Only a year ago, I was living like any healthy young person would, with the worries and stresses that are normal for people of that age. However, now, as a leukemia patient, I find myself with different worries and stresses than those trivial trials of my previous daily life, such as a loss of independence, privacy, and the wavering promise of a long and prosperous life ahead. But because of you, I now have reason to hope that I can soon renew my citizenship card to the real world and once again enjoy those things which are not available to those like me who have been forced to live their lives sustaining their lives rather than enjoying them. Because of you, I have regained much of my strength, energy, and autonomy that were once lost. Because of you, I am making my way back to life. I am applying for jobs rather than leaving them. I am enjoying the outdoors rather than remaining quarantined in the hospital room. I am hugging and kissing the ones I love rather than distancing myself from them out of fear of infection. Because of you, I am becoming whole again rather than continuing to fall apart. But most importantly, because of you, I now have hope. Hope that I can again go back to school, fall in love, celebrate birthdays, travel the world, and begin a new life of my own. Because of you, I have hope that I can remain someone's sister, daughter, niece, granddaughter, and friend. But more importantly... Because of you, I have hope that I can someday become someone's wife, mother, aunt, grandmother, and new friend as well. I have never known the kind of love that it took to do what you have done for me. A love for a faceless stranger. But I am thankful now to know that that kind of love exists. I know it exists because I have witnessed it. In fact, it lives in me, and it will for the rest of my life. Thank you for showing me, your faceless, nameless stranger, that kind of love by sharing your life with me, so that I might live to love others. Although we are strangers for now, and are connected both in body and spirit, and I look forward to the day that we might meet one another. From the very marrow of my bones, literally, thank you for giving me life, 
Thank you for giving me love. Thank you for giving me hope. Your recipient. Mm. Hope is important. Mm. Hope is an attitude. It's a decision to hope and act out of hope. Let me uh, say, this is from the preface to the whole book. This is a love story. It's a tale of love as reflected through the actions of individuals, of groups, of communities, and of strangers. Ultimately, it is a story of life lived with a sense of urgency, with meaning, with purpose and value, and with hope. It is a reflection of several truths made self-evident to those who were participants in the story. It was reality, a reality that included truths that changed forever many who bore witness to these events, as truth often does. None of the participants within the story will ever be the same again. It can be no other way. It is hoped by the author that if he has done his job well enough that through the telling and reading of this story, those who experienced it second-hand will, too, never be the same again. Life is like that. Truth is like that. In the end, hope is all there is. Hope guides your actions. You are known by what you do. Let this be, um, yeah, like a lesson in love <laughs> and how to love and how to be love, how to be the the hands and feet of of Christ, of God in the world. You know, I, I your generation is uh, doing some significant things, asking some significant questions coming up with insights and new ways to express older truths and I'm proud of what you do and I'm proud of those that uh, are following in your journey but also in people like yourself the vibration is rising but mm. I want to caution that a lot of what I hear tends to be about self and I agree there needs to be self care there needs to be self love there needs to be self uh, health but the old truth is also to be paired with that which is build yourself for the purpose of doing for someone else. That's the ultimate purpose and charge, and it's ultimately the way humanity gets along yeah. in the end. Well, and I think as we become more wise in how to take care of ourselves, we inevitably become more equipped to do 
that for others because it's like do unto others as you would do unto yourself. So if you are uh, neglecting yourself, you will oftentimes neglect the people in your life. Um, and so right. it's, it's a reciprocal uh, thing um, for sure. And I think that's so important. And um, I think that would be Anna's message as well. Um, and this book is, is so powerful. Obviously, um, it's, it really takes, um, some of these things, uh, some of these principles and topics and, uh, hard conversations and, and bears it all and comes kind of right down to the studs of life. Like what's left when, when a storm comes through and it leaves you with just the foundation left. And these are the foundational principles that will stand, you know, uh, the test of time. And, uh, if you guys want to get this book, which I, I highly encourage you to do this holiday season to get love letters, um, every purchase, uh, ever that's made will go to, um, the funds will go to my sister's endowed scholarship at the university of Alabama, where she was a graduate of the, the psychology program there. And, um, we have uh, been giving, have, have had the scholarship now in place since, uh, since her passing, but every bit of the, the profits for this will go to that. And so we ask you to, um, if you're inspired by the story and this conversation, that you activate that inspiration, that you act on um, uh, the feeling of wanting to do unto others and to give others um, opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have if this scholarship didn't exist so that they can, that person can go on to do, um, beautiful things and work in the world as well. Uh, dad, is there anything specifically you want to say about the scholarship or, um, that obviously we're going to tell people how they can get the book as well. Uh, the scholarship was Anna's final request, so to speak. Um, she asked that there be created a scholarship in her name at the university and um, it occurred and all of her friends and our friends and in lieu of flowers gave to that scholarship and it was so much that it endowed it forever and uh, her story that I finally was able to come out with uh, 10 years later uh, the profits or the royalties, all royalties will go to that scholarship fund, 100% of them. You can find the book everywhere. It can be found in Amazon. It can be found in uh, um, all the big chains. However, the purpose being to feed the scholarship fund, I will say that the the most royalties come from the book baby bookshop and then you can type in love letters and uh, order it there that uh, book baby was my publisher that i used for to self-publish this book and they have their own bookshop and sell their own titles as well as place them in um, amazon and all those other places if you order it from amazon that's great However, the truth is they, they only pay 
one dollar in royalties. Whereas if you order from the Book Baby Bookshop, um, it pays eleven dollars in royalties. Okay. So we'll make sure to put that Book Baby link then um, in the show notes. You guys go there. Um, to, to find that link so that if uh, you want to make sure that the scholarship gets as much uh, um, funding as possible, then that's the link that you're going to want to click on and we'll make it super, easy, super easily and accessible to you guys. Um, and I also just want to note, if you want to become a donor, um, visit uh, Marrow, uh, I think it's the Bone Marrow... Uh, registry. Uh, if you want to become a donor, we encourage you. Um, we'll put the link to become and learn more about becoming a bone marrow donor, transplant donor, in the link uh, show notes as well. Um, but the biggest um, thing I hope that you guys take away from this is don't let your inspiration, your lessons, your knowledge um, be idle uh, and just sit idly by and, and just consume um, things that feel good or sound good, but actually act upon them. And uh, this is one way that you can do that and you can get involved and you can give back um, in a really uh, significant way that will change someone's life. Um, and I just imagine all of, you know, in the same way Anna kind of wrote to her donor that thank you letter, all of the many people who've received this uh, scholarship over the years, um, I imagine have similar uh, gratitude um, that enables them to continue to pursue their dreams uh, in academics. So it's really important to us that if you feel compelled that you, that you buy, that you, that you get one for your friends and your family this holiday season. And if you want to give directly to the scholarship uh, fund itself, you can do that by, um, Writing a check to the Anna Gordon Memorial Endowed Scholarship and mailing it to the University of Alabama Office of Advancement in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can go to the website uh, at the University of Alabama and uh, find the address of the Office of Advancement and just stick that check in the mail. That would be wonderful, too. And you get the mm. tax deduction. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something a lot of people um, are doing in December, too, as they round out their tax year. I'll leave uh, and round out this conversation with this. And I think um, with scholarship on the mind and the importance of being a lifelong learner, being uh, coachable, being teachable um, is really what this show is all about. Um, Anna was a student, but she was one of our greatest teachers, um, as well. And, um, just to give you a sense for that, uh, this was written about her. Um, I believe that every action is a self portrait of the person who did it. Consequently, I've always sought to autograph my work with excellence. This is what Anna wrote in her statement of purpose for her graduate school applications. Indeed, she did sign her work at UA with excellence. Her list of accomplishments is long, and I won't read them all, but she was incredibly um, uh, rewarded for her hard work. Um, but uh, 
this is written by one of her, her, her teachers. On her one-page resume, Anna reduced the font to nine point to get it all in. The reason I mention these accomplishments is not because they somehow summarize Anna's experience at UA, but because they reflect her energy, her love of learning, and how she just shined whenever she went in and whatever she did. Um, let me share with you about the Anna that I knew. When I work with students, one of the conversations I try to have uh, with them early on is a discussion of their career goals and where they see themselves after finishing school. And Anna told me that her goal was to work in higher education administration. When I heard this, I thought, really? That's what you want to do? Unbelievable. But most psychology students I'd worked with uh, before aspired to help children or research how families affect emotion processing. But not to put the other students' goals down, uh, but here in front of me was a young woman who wanted to run a young university. As we talked more, she wove together her experiences as an RA, her internship with student affairs and research interests, and I thought myself, Joan, you better be careful. Anna could be running UA one day. Anna worked with me on her project titled Self-Efficacy and Performance, Explanatory Factors of the Attrition of Females in Math and Science-Related Fields, um, and her honors thesis piggybacked on a large research project she was, I was conducting at the time. Um, she goes on to say that um, last night I reread part of Anna's thesis proposal. It was really good. Her intellect, her clarity of purpose all shine through. Her project made a real contribution to my research and helped me understand my questions a little differently. And I'm so grateful for this. When I was writing a note to let my colleagues know of Anna's passing, I said that in describing Anna, words like brilliant, smart, insightful, warm, and caring seem accurate but just fall short of describing a truly delightful young woman. There are certain students who come into our lives who are special, not just because of their capacity to learn, but because of their character and how they make us shine as teachers. In closing, I want to offer one more excerpt from her graduate school application. She included this quote from William Butler Yeats. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Sometimes when you are really lucky as a teacher, it's the student who lights your fire. Anna was just such a student. So let that be, um, yeah, a reminder that although we are all students, we are also great teachers and um, you all are whether you know it or not, impacting uh, the people in your lives and people are watching and people are paying attention. So um, sign and autograph your life with excellence. I love you guys. Thank you for being here, Dad. I love you so, Thank so you. much. And love I'm you. proud of proud of this work and what you've accomplished and know there will be more to come. So any final words before we end? Thank you for uh, wanting to support the, the cause. My pleasure. And thank you for going through this all with me. Yeah, my pleasure. I love you. Love Till you. next time, you guys, be coachable. Love you. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that. 
be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. If you're getting value from it, I can guarantee it that someone else that you know would get value as well. And honestly, I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't share with me a podcast episode a couple years ago that absolutely changed my life and set me on the course that I am today. And I'm eternally grateful for that person. And you can be that person to someone else. So share it, share the love because you matter, they matter, and what you have to say matters. So I would love to hear if there's something in this episode that really stands out to you and is a ha aha moment, send me an email to media at torygordon.com. Let me know what it was that stuck out to you. What was your aha moment? Maybe where and around what time in the podcast that really spoke to you because my team and I love to hear that. We love to see and hear exactly what is speaking to your heart and it's helps us to serve you better. So please like, subscribe, share. You are helping this podcast continue to grow and get out to larger audiences that can help shape the world and bring more and light, love and healing to it. So thank you for your contribution and let's get on to the podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.